costly worship. And I want to go ahead and make sure that we don't have any preconceived notions of what I'm trying to do because I'm not trying to get you to all look the same way in the way we worship God. I'm talking about getting to a place where we worship Him as if we really believed He's here. And I'm not sure if the worship team is upset with me at all because I basically just told them to stop playing. Nope, they're saying, nope, we love it. I just, I felt like we, we all went where we were supposed to go for this moment. So I heard someone say today, I was listening to a podcast, and the preacher said something to the effect of um, the, we're, we're not trying to please the eye, we're just trying to make sure we're walking in the spirit. And wherever the spirit goes is where we want to go. So in talking about costly worship, we see this place in Malachi when he's been telling them and reminding them how much he loves them. Perhaps that's why we kept singing that and talking about that, how much God loves you. But before we can receive the correction in Malachi, we have to remember that God loves us. Because everything you read in the scripture, if you're not reading it through the lens of love, you're reading it through the long, wrong lens. Even his wrath is love. You know, children feel the wrath of their father when their father punishes their children. But the, a good father punishes their kids because they love them so much they don't want to see them stay where they're at. So when, when the father is angry, it's actually a very good, loving thing. He, he should even get glory in his anger. The, the father loves us. I, I, it's already, it's, it's halfway in my message, but, and I'll probably say it again, but we, the church has been conditioned to waiting on the lion of Judah to come back with a roar and take his church back. But if you read Revelation, John says, I was expecting in a lion, but in the midst of the elders, I saw a lamb. He was expecting lion, because that is God. He's the lion, but his character was lamb. And the way God acts and reacts and does things is nothing short of a lamb that was slain, a humble God that can do anything, but he says, I am here because I love you. Even God is like humble to our needs. Remember when Jesus did the first miracle of water and the wine? He says, well, it's not my time, but because you need it. So God acted out of his planned time to meet our need. That is a God who loves us. Did you hear that? Because only God can do that. Only God can decide, can decide it's not time, but because I say it's time, the out of time became time. Is that okay? And the reason I'm saying this is because and I, I, I said something on Facebook. I didn't get many reactions, praise God. But we've been praying so much for the, for the war in Israel that we have almost demonized the people of Palestine. Are they acting out of the will of God? Yes. Does God still love them? Yes. How dare us only pray for the people in Israel when you've got moms who were crying because their 18-year-old kids were sent from Palestine into Israel and getting killed themselves. We don't need to pick a side. We need to stand with God and pray for everything going on that peace would settle. Do I believe there's a prophetic significance of Israel? Absolutely. Do I believe that Israel, the people of God? Absolutely. But if you think that the people of God defined by Israel is only about some people in Israel, you've got a very small perception of what Israel is all about because everyone is adopted into the family of God. There is no Jew or Gentile. I don't even know why I started talking about that. But at this moment in Malachi, the people are struggling, looking at God as great. 
They're saying, God, we know we're here, but why are you letting all this stuff happen? There's still all this chaos. God, if you're so great, why'd you let COVID come out? You know, God, if you're so great, why, why, why is there a war? God, if you're so great, why are churches doing all this stuff that's not even in Scripture? You know, you know God, if you're so great, why, is, why does death happen? God, if you're so, the, the people of Malachi are experiencing exactly what we do. God, we question God because things don't go our way. And we wonder if God is, is holding us and uplifting us with, with his righteous hand. And we're not alone. How, do we, how come do we feel alone? We have all those questions. We, we experience all those things. The people are exactly where we are. And when God looks at them, this is what he responds with. In Malachi chapter 1, speaking to the prophet Malachi, he says in verse 6, The Lord of heaven's armies says this to the priest, A son honors his father, a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and if I'm your master, where are the honor and respect that I deserve? You've shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? Did you catch What's going on in this scripture? He says, if I am your father and master, meaning that's what they're calling him. God is not trying to tell them to call him father and master. He says, you call me this. If I am that, why don't you honor me as such? You call me father you call me master, but you don't live like you claim I am. Where is my honor? The word honor means to regard with great respect and high esteem. To regard as a great or rare opportunity or privilege. What were they to bring high esteem and respect for? He's the father. He's the father of all. He's the father of all spirits, angels, souls, father of all men, creation. He's the father by adoption. He adopted his people. He is father. He's master. All are to regard him as above their own ways, and we are subject to his ways. You don't get to outvote the things of God because it doesn't match your wants and desires. If you call him master, do you submit to him as master and you as servant? Do, 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 you, do you glory and I get to serve the, the master and not do anything my own way? And God points out the problem. He says, you don't honor me when you call me master and father because you show contempt for my name. You're saying the right stuff, but what you do is different than what you're saying. You, you're, you, you do not live like I am the one who loved you and chose you because you always question the validity of what I'm doing. The moment you say, why did you let this happen, God, you just walked out of your revelation that he's a good, good father. Why, why is Malachi saying this? Not to rebuke you if you've done that. Because I'm, I, if you're like me, I've had times where I'm like, God, if you're so good, then why is this going on? It's to remind you that he's good so that when you go through a time of he's not good, you go, oh, wait a minute. Yes, he is. So what is good about this thing? Every trial and every issue in life is always a chance to do this with the Father. You do not live like a master to whom you answer to. You see, Israel understood that a son honors his father and a servant his master. The reason they understood it is because in the culture, if you didn't honor your father and you didn't serve your master, you got really bad punishment. What God is showing them, he says, why don't you honor me as such? Israel, you're complaining about your conditions. You're crying out to me as father. You're crying out to me as master. But you're dropping big titles with a life that doesn't align. And I feel like that's almost the condition of the church. We'll drop the big titles of father and redeemer and master and savior. But we live as if he's an option. They already declared and understood these relationships. Back in Isaiah 64, 8, I want you to look at this. It says, now, O Lord, you are our father. And this is what they say. We are the clay, you're the potter, and all we are the work of your hand. This is Old Testament. This is a prophecy. 
So true honor, and just leave that up there if you don't mind, looks like everything we do looks like you did it and you formed it. Remember last week? What we talked about last week, we talked about how he said anything that I build ain't going to get torn down. Anything you build, it going to get torn down. And I think we've come to a place in the people called church, and I'm not talking about other churches. I want to make sure anyone ever hears this sermon hears this. I am not comparing Relentless to other churches. I'm talking about the church, us included. What we have done is we have started to build our thing apart from his thing. And what I mean by that is we are at a place in the big C church where we're making decisions based off of what comes in the offering plate versus what Holy Spirit says. And we call it budgeting. We're making decisions based off of a Roman calendar. Can I go even further? We're making decisions off of Jewish calendars in some cultures. You know what the good thing about time is? With God, he's the beginning and the end, so why are we trying to even looking at time when it comes to following the Spirit? I don't even know why I'm saying this right now. Amen. Everything we do and look, and look like should be as if he formed it and nothing short of that. When we have that situation with a family member, do we handle it in a way he formed? In a situation of how you steward your, your God-given talents, do you steward it in a way like he formed it? In the situation of how you treat your church family, does it look like how he formed it? In a situation with how you disagree with something, does it look like how he formed it? God, you are Father, you are Master. Our posture should be that of clay. We are molded and fashioned in his likeness in all things. And we don't get to outvote that because he is Master. He is Father. We trust that he knows better than we could ever know. So we say yes every time. We are obsessed with Jesus as lion, but not remembering his character as lamb. Lion and lamb, bold and humble, courageous and moldable. How is, the, how is Jesus moldable? It's not my time, but. That messes with you, right? Why did he come? He came to show us who the Father is and how our life should be here on earth. To bring God boldness without humility is not regarding him as father and master. We love the idea of father, but we don't like to conform to his ways as our master. He says, where is my honor? That word honor translated is the same word for glory. Where's my glory? Where's my glory in your life? Where in your life is bringing a posture of glory and fear? Fear as in I fear a reality of not being molded. Some of the best compliments that come in the form of jokes and sarcasm lately is you are not the same person as you were last year. Thank God. I don't think if any of us are the same people we are tomorrow as we were today, something didn't do right tonight. There should always be something saying, oh, let me, let me, let me conform to that that, that, that thing that God is showing me. Let me be molded even more. I want to point out that in the first few words of this passage in Malachi 1, verse 6 specifically, he opens up with, the Lord of heaven's armies says to the priests. He, the Lord is directing this word not to all of Israel, 
but to the priests. The priest's role was an intercessor between God and the people. Or in other words, the priest's role was acting as a representative of all of Israel before the throne of God. So Malachi says, hey, you representatives, y'all are bringing sacrifices and you're bringing gifts and what you're bringing here represents the heart of the people. God is talking to the ones representing all of Israel in this passage. And he says, you want to know why they don't feel me? Because you priests are not honoring me. You know what Revelation 1.6 tells us? He has made us a kingdom of priests for God as Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Why is there something called a remnant of people in the earth? Because we, many want to, be, God says, you are the priests representing the whole. When you come and worship God, you're representing every lost person you've ever known. You're representing your family. You're representing your neighborhoods. We're representing America. We're representing every nationality that any of us are a part of. When we come before God, we come as priests or representatives of the whole. And the degree that we worship shows what we understand because if we worship on behalf of Johnny you know, last name, who doesn't know God, we would go all out because we want that person saved. Or we come to God and worship all out because we have a friend that's dying of cancer, perhaps we would go all in with worship because we're worshiping on behalf of the friend dying of cancer. At some point, we have to take role as priests. I know this is tough. Is, are y'all receiving this? Many want to bear the title of priests, but don't bring Father proper honor and respect. And the way we bring him honor and respect is with a representation for all of mankind. The fact of the matter is, God is not angry with non-believers. He's angry at priests not being molded, and if we're not molded, we can't mold anything. He's looking for a spotless bride, a people who understand we are no longer identified as sinners, but priests who bear the weight of representation. We are submitted to master and father, and therefore spots are where we are not submitted, not just bad behavior. I want to be spotless. I want to be submitted. And we always look at submission as sin or not sin. But will you submit to getting on your face on the, on the threshing floor because you are coming before God for that family member? Come on. Yes, come on. Amen. I, I heard a, a testimony today. I, I was here at the coffee shop earlier and someone was talking and I'm not going to pull up their name. There's no one in this room and I'm, I'm not, I promise I'm not lying. It was an incredible testimony, it was, and it was so small. It was such an overlooked thing, but it spoke to me. This person said that they had, I, I believe, a son who has been a, a homosexual for uh, like his whole life. And for the past 15 years, he's been in a homosexual relationship, and this mama was praying, God, let the relationship cease. Let the relationship cease. She represented her homosexual son for 15 years, and this weekend or this week she got wind that the relationship ended. Now, there, there was no testimony of him not being a homosexual anymore. But 15 years of ceasing the relationship, the prayer was answered. Are you willing to pray the same thing for 15 years and never question the goodness of God saying yes? Do we still declare we are in a move of God when people are moving out the house? And, wh and why is it that we demonize people who leave the house? It's okay. If, it, if it's the big C church, who cares where we all go as long as we're going? I met a couple today, at the, again, at the coffee shop. They just moved to Pooler. They're looking for a house. And they said, we love that you're on Saturdays because we can come on Saturdays and we can go wherever we want on Sundays. You know what a typical preacher says? Oh, no, you got, you, you got to be committed to one house. I, 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 we should be committed to God. Yes. 
I don't know why I'm going here. God says, you want to know why I'm not returning yet? Because you call on me, but your words have no meaning. You priest, you people of God, you Christians, show contempt for my name. You bring me the same thing the sinners do. No honor and no glory. How have they shown contempt for his name as, fa- as father and master? How have they despised his name? Well, in Deuteronomy, the Lord was giving them instruction of proper sacrifice. In Deuteronomy 15, 21, it says, If the firstborn animal has any defect, any defect, such as lameness or blindness, or if anything else is wrong with it, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. If the firstborn animal has any defect, any, don't sacrifice it to the Lord your God. If your offering is anything less than good, he says, don't bring it. God has a standard for sacrifice. He says, I want the best, I want the first, I want a worthy offering, and the offering we bring reveals how we honor him as father and master. He says, you've shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? The priests, listen to that. They asked him, all right, God, you're telling us we're showing contempt. How have we shown contempt? You know what that means? They were not even aware that they were despising God with their actions. They weren't aware of it. They didn't know the extent of their offense, and they simply carried on. Little by little, degree by degree, they despised the name of God. And they weren't even aware of it. Because they were doing all the temple practice. They were coming to the weekly worship service. They were paying their tithes and offerings. They were becoming members of a church. They were saying the salvation prayers. Can I go even further? God calls them to preach. God calls men and women to preach. And we think the only way to preach is to go to theology school to learn how to write three points. You know how many points I have in this? There ain't none. It's just a lot of words about Scripture that I felt like the Holy Spirit say to release. What, 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 I'm, what I'm getting at is we're no longer learning to submit to the Holy Spirit. We're learning these structures just like these priests were learning. They knew how to do everything. They knew how to do the right stuff. But it was all empty because it was, it was only in mechanical routine that they gave God anything. And God's like, I don't want that. He wanted a people who were intentionally bringing him true worship. They were just going through the motions. They brought sacrifices. They did the stuff. But it was out of duty, not reverence. God doesn't want a I need to go to church type of worship. God wants I get to bring him my best type of worship. It's a lifestyle of I get to bring him my best. And many are really good at church attendance and saying amen and even raising their hands, but it's had a mechanical duty when it should be from a flow of, Lord, I'm here, Lord, here's my best, and Lord, here's my worship. Look at what verse 7 says. It says, you've shown content by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. They were offering defiled sacrifices on the altar, the place of sacrifice. We are never permitted to give God a defiled offering. Some some translations say you offered defiled food at my altar or defiled food at my table. You know what Luke 13, 29 says? People will come from east and west, from north and south, and sit down, feast at the table in the kingdom of God. 
and a few, if y'all could cut down that commotion in the lobby, that would be amazing. And you know what was said a few verses for, before that? Y'all, I'm, I'm spicy tonight. I'm ready for those jalapenos and that chili. Right, right, right before he says you get to sit down and feast at the table of the kingdom, he opens that passage up by saying, narrow is the door to the kingdom. Why is it narrow? You can't come and sit and feast at this table bringing your leftovers. He says, I'm not going to take the foul food at this table. And many people love to say, Lord, Father, Master, Jesus, and never bring a worship of proper sacrifice. Verse 8, it says, when you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? Isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor. Let me put it in, in 2023. Try not paying your taxes. Right? And see how pleased he is, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. God says, you're bringing things to me that your government won't even accept, is what he's telling the people. You bring your government the right thing, but bring, but bring me a non-sacrificial worship? We run our businesses more uh, fluently than we give God praise in our day-to-day. We have more set-aside time to make money than we do to give him praise or even better, give him praise while you make money doing it in the morality of a molded vessel. There's a passage where King David is looking for a proper sacrifice at the altar and he goes to a, 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 a king or named Aruna, maybe it wasn't a king, but Aruna, and he looks at him in 2 Samuel 24, and and he replies to Aruna, I insist on buying it. You see, what he was doing, David was trying to get a sacrifice, and the guy's like, no, 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 I'm going to give you whatever you need because I know you need a sacrifice. And David said, no, 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 I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. Did you catch that? He could have gotten it for free, and David said, I will not bring God anything that does not cost me something. And for some reason, we're still trying to make worship services comfortable for anyone that comes in. We should not be trying to Market worship gatherings as how comfortable they can be for the lost. We need to come together with one purpose, seeking God with everything we have. And it should cost us something. It should cost us our comfort. It should cost us our time. It should cost us our planned schedule. Like tonight, skipping a lot of things. Skipping time and offering in church is a no-no. But if the Holy Spirit says, go that way, are we willing to forsake everything else? Because we just want Him. We're not trying to accomplish a service. We're trying to walk with Jesus. And if Jesus ain't walking there, we don't need to walk there, even if it looks like good sacrifice. You know what? When David bought this thing that he did not have to buy because he was king, when it cost him something. You know what the fruit of that was? Look at verse 25. David built the altar there to the Lord, sacrificed the burnt offerings and peace offerings. Peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. Did you catch that? Because he brought him a costly worship, the plague stopped. Why? Because David was acting as a priest representing the whole. You don't know what my family's going through. Perhaps he's waiting on a representative to show up. Yeah. 
You know what the answer is to bring change or to shift a region? A people who will only offer a costly worship and not a defiled one. The answer to the crime going on in Savannah is not solely through a police department. It is through a people called church who are representing the region. And when we represent the people with costly good worship, you know what happens during revivals? Crime rates go down. And it's not because we had a cool outreach called Save the City Day. It's because when we lift up a fragrance of worship, the people who are doing the crime and doing the bad things, for some reason, joy creeps in because they start to smell a sweet fragrance. And in the midst of their misery, they actually start to experience joy and peace and goodness. They're experiencing fruit of the Spirit because we are raising up prayers and worship as incense to the Lord. And the fragrance of worship, of a sacrificial, costly worship, is getting out into the region and for some reason they're shifting not knowing why they're shifting because we the priests are representing them and before you know it when we give God a costly worship and represent them they're going to smell out that fragrance that felt really weird and they're going to get to the people of God and say oh this is what I felt in, 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 my, in, in, my, in my low income housing when I had no hope and I was going to hold the gun to my head this is what I felt but I didn't know where it was Are, are you hearing me? Yes. Like, I, I, I want people to experience all the good things of life. And perhaps it'll happen through a people who will just say, no more convenience. Perhaps costly worship, if God defines a true church as unified, would you agree with that? Perhaps costly worship looks like we're going to unify even when we don't like each other. Perhaps costly worship is we're going to unify even when Pastor Kyle might, might make a mistake. Costly worship is it's going to cost us something, but we're going to link arms. And we're going to move forward together because a unified house the enemy has no chance against. You know what costly worship is? The, the, it's, it could be really good for a few weeks, and then one week is just off. And because oil and wine take time, we're not going to move forward until it gets right. Uh. Oh, it's only 7.30. I got plenty of time. Let, let, let me read John 12, 1 through 7. Six days before the stop making me laugh. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. That's pretty awesome. Raised him from the dead, and it's like, hey, you know, the least you could do is fix me some dinner, right? <laughs> Verse two. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, duh. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Now, this is, a, this is a very popular scripture for a lot of you, but just listen to it. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive, costly perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed to Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Y'all hear that? The costly worship was poured out, and the fragrance spread. Right? The, the fragrance of the house spreads. Now, now, now watch this. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Can I just pause there before I read verse 7? Jesus knew that Judas would steal the money, but still put Judas over the money. You know what that means? In Christ, all are worthy to serve in the church. Why? Because some of the most messed up people 
Jesus wants to draw even closer. And your words of, you don't fit here, drove them away when you should be bringing them in. Okay, verse 7. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. I think that is one of the most overlooked verses in this passage. Leave her alone. Her worship is preparing the way. Prepare of the way of prepare the way of the Lord through costly offerings. He could not be prepared had it not been for a costly worship. The perfume was expensive and was poured out on the feet of Jesus. Where? At the table. The banquet of the kingdom of God. She was giving a costly worship as she was invited to feast at the table. How do we prepare for the way of the Lord? Not with Facebook posts saying he's coming back. How do we prepare, prepare the way of the Lord? Not by telling people you better get saved because Jesus is coming back. That's not preparing the way of the Lord. That's trying to get the praise of fellow Christians. Pre preparing the way of the Lord looks like I'm going to give a worship to him that will cost me something. Now, I, I am not trying to tell you what you should decide, but I'm giving personal testimony. I talk, I talk a lot in October, more years than this, but I, every year I mention something about Halloween. It was my favorite holiday. I loved scary movies. I loved the idea of Halloween. I loved dressing up sometimes, weirdly enough. I loved the holiday. So you know what costly worship for, for me is in October? I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't give agreement to it because it's a chance for me to say, here. And I'm, I'm, not I'm not trying to convince you what to do. What, what, what I am telling you is that every decision should be what could cost me to give him more. Stop looking at things through the lens of what's right and wrong. Look at it through the lens of what can cost to show him I love him more. You know, you know, what, you know what costs some of us? Forgiving someone that has never asked for it. When Jesus entered in Jerusalem, the people were throwing their gar the garments on the road ahead of him. When he was coming in on the, the colt, right? They were covering the road in their prayer shawls. They, they were covering the road in an act of honor and loyalty, preparing the way for his entry. Could it be that the bride of Christ is identified when we prepare the way through costly worship and not convenient worship? How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? I, I hope. Let me try that again. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? How many of you are looking forward to Jesus coming back? So why are we not preparing the way through costly worship? You say you love the idea of him coming back, but you won't give him worship that doesn't cost. It's going to cost you your time, your comfort, and what is familiar for unfamiliar. That's where this house is going. We're, we're going into an unfamiliar place. I almost posted it today, but this is just something that God's doing in me. I heard the Holy Spirit tell me this, and this is the worst advice you could ever give anyone in the business world or anything like that, but it's the best advice the Holy Spirit has ever given me. He told me, Kyle, if you would walk in the things that you don't yet understand, I will show you what it is. Are you willing to go to a place that doesn't make sense and you don't know how to steward quite yet? You know, my answer was, and, and, and then, okay. So I'm not surprised what happened tonight. Because you know what it cost me? It cost me what's going through my mind when I was up here 
And I was saying, I feel like we just need to shift. You know what was going through my mind when you saw someone with a microphone and praying? Well, this People are not going to like this because it's not an orderly worship service. And they're going to say, well, this is a weird church and you need to. And, and, and the whole time I was talking, I was telling the enemy to shut up. Because I'm not making a move to please a first-time guest. We're just trying to walk with Jesus. Look at verses 9 through 10 of Malachi 1. Verse 9. Go, is, does this excite y'all? Like, I'm excited to walk into unfamiliar that's going to cost me something. It says in verse 9, go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. Let, let me make sure I set this up right. God ain't with us. What's happening? We're, 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 why are we experiencing such heartache? Why are we experiencing disaster? Why, why is this going on? You're begging God to be merciful, and that's what you're bringing him? Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Ask the Lord of heaven's armies how I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I will not accept your offerings. Malachi says, you want mercy, you want favor, but you had not prepared the way to receive it. And, and here's the thing to remember. There is absolutely no indication that these people were doing this deliberately. Because they ask God, how have we defiled you? And many times we wonder, where is God, not realizing we have not prepared the way for him to answer you don't think he hears your prayers? I talk about it all the time, but in, in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel prayed and he fasted for 21 days, and the answer got there on day 21. But it doesn't say God heard his prayer on day 21. It says on day one when he lifted up his prayer, it says God heard his prayers, and he had to pray it out and fast for 21 days, not because the Holy Spirit told him to fast for 21 days. God told Daniel, fast until. And he fasted until that prayer that was heard on day one broke through heaven's atmosphere into earth's atmosphere on day 21. You know what he was doing for 21 days? Preparing the way for God to answer the prayer that he already heard. So when you start to pray, God, make a way, God, would you do this in my life? Faith without works is dead. What's the works? Preparing the way for the answer. I, I, I'm not trying to go backwards, but I'm just going to put this in real perspective. Last week, a word was released that barren wombs were going to be restored. And, and, and women that were told they could never have kids are going to have them. You know what preparing the way is? Go buy a crib. Is that too much? If that word was for you, I want to make sure that's clear. You need to make sure that that's for you. And that's how preparing the way of the Lord looks. God says, shut the doors if you're going to bring me that kind of junk. I'm not going to accept that worship. Grace is not any worship goes. Grace is I'm going to give you many chances to get it right. He wants the doors open, but not with a half-hearted worship. Now watch this in verse 11. I'm getting, I'm getting there. I only have eight pages left. Just kidding. My name is honored by people of other nations from morning until night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. My name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Did you just catch that? Before Jesus came, the Father said, if you Jews won't do it, Gentiles will. I, <laughs> yeah, why not? So, 
there's prophecy about the restoration of Israel, right? No, I, I don't disagree with that at all. But what if, <laughs> and I'm not saying that this is how it's going to happen, what I'm about to say. But what if Israel conquers Palestine because they saw Palestinians bow before the face of God? And they were reminded of how good their God was. But we won't prepare the way for that. Y'all hear that? What if all it took was for, for Israel to submit to God in, in, in more ways for them to see one Palestinian in the middle of battle going. And then it shifted their whole perspective. That's why I'll pray for both. See, it's not about our strategy. It's about wherever his presence is going to be. He says, if you won't worship me, I'm going to find worshipers somewhere. I'll adopt them into my family because I need representatives. I need my priests. Perhaps that's why many temples are emptying on Sundays and they're filling up in no air conditioning barn houses in the middle of nowhere with people seeking God. He says, church, if you won't give it to me, I'm going to find someone that will. Verse 12. But you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You're saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. It's kind of funny we're talking about the Lord's table on chilly night. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. Uh, we hear that all the time. It's hairy and nice. It's so inconvenient. It's also costly. Yeah. I'll gladly give up the concert tickets for an encounter with God. And don't think that that is pointing out anything specific. Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> but, 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 he, but hear me out. I'm not rebuking going into here in a concert. I'm, I'm not, that, I'm not, maybe some. <laughs> but but what, what I am saying is, if you have the concert tickets on a Saturday night and you're driving to that concert that you paid $200 a ticket for, and then all of a sudden you get in the parking lot and you hear a whisper saying, I need you in the house. Will you give it up? I'm not talking about a religious thing of you can't go to a concert on Saturday night because we have church on Saturday nights. You can go to church anywhere on Sundays. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, will you give up whatever should the Holy Spirit whisper in your ear? Yeah. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Asked the Lord. He says, the other nations are offering up sweet incense and all you can do is complain. They're turning their noses up to the commands of God. You know what that simply means? It's insincere worship. And let me tell you something about insincere worship. It's just as unsatisfying to you as it is to God. So when you worship with insincerity, you get tired of the length of the song set. Because if your posture was worship, you wouldn't care if it was three hours because it's a chance to simply worship God. Sincere worship doesn't get weary because you never get tired of who's in the room. You hear that the worship's too long. Why are, why are we judging worship to God? Why are we judging worship to God with how it serves people? Yeah. 
A costly proper worship shifts a region because out of nowhere, that sweet-smelling incense starts to get in their veins. No longer strife. I hear every time in revivals, crime shifts during revivals. There's testimonies of entire regions going from barren to green and producing in a moment. Are we crazy enough to believe that could happen? I, I, I want to lead a house known as the weird people. That we are so strange because we actually give God a costly worship, not for eyes to see us, but for his eyes to be pleased. Verse 14, cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. Malachi prophesies on God's behalf, cursed is the cheat who says they'll bring God the best, but lie with defiled offerings. That's why in Acts chapter 5, Ananias brought a portion of the offering, lied saying it was full amount, and then Peter looked at him. And he says this in verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. Let me pause right there. It was never about having to give all the money to the church. It was he lied that he was giving all the money. Like if the Lord leads you to give $10, the answer is not to act like you're holy to now by saying all I have is $10. That's what Ananias is doing. He's lying about the money so he can look like he's bringing costly worship. And it says the property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us. You were lying to God. And as soon as, as, as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and he died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Of course. And you wonder why your life is in turmoil when you give God seconds and not the first. You wonder why the country is going backwards. Curses are broken in Jesus' name, meaning curses are broken when we are in his will. And in his will, it doesn't look like a people called his church giving half-hearted worship. I, I, I want Savannah to turn toward God. I want the United States to turn toward God. And I, I'm, I'm going to go as far as this. I am not a national pride guy. I, I, I am an all-world pride guy because God says he loves everyone. So I'm not about the redemption of the United States of America. I'm about the redemption of, of North America, South America, Europe, Asia. Uh, what's the rest of them? Africa, um, is Australia a continent? All, 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 I don't even know anymore. I think I, I didn't do good in geography or something. Everything, everything. We want everything to turn to God. We want everyone to bow their, 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 to their knees and say yes to Jesus. And he says the region will shift where they costly worship. We represent the whole. Kyle, why am I not walking in healing anointing? Check your worship. Why, why am I not walking in blessings? Because you know what the Word of God says? It's not saying you will get blessings. The Word of God says you are blessed. You have been blessed with every uh, heavenly thing. Meaning that everything you will ever need to do, anything you're ever called to do, is yours. It's not about getting it. It's not about earning it. It's about releasing it from heaven's realm into this realm. And you want to know how you do it? Costly worship. Do, do you realize how easy this is? You see, church is taught you got to learn the, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and so on and so on. you got to learn the order of it. you got to be able to quote Scripture. None of these people that, that were, were written about in Scripture quoted Scripture except that they just knew the word of the Lord. They knew that God said, 
I am yours. You are mine. They, 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 all they had was some laws from Moses. They had like the first five books of the Bible. These guys in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they weren't reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John to get the revelation of Jesus. They walked with Jesus to get the revelation of Jesus. You, you, you don't need to learn how to read it as so much as just reading it. And if I may even go further, you want to know how you're going to start understanding this? Walking with the king. Well, I can't read, I can't understand what Matthew chapter 1 verse 6 means. Well, maybe the Lord doesn't want you to see it at that moment. Or maybe if you would just give God a costly worship, the ears and, and, and eyes of understanding are going to open because you're no longer trying to be a scholar, you're trying to be a lover. He invites you to a place of intimacy. Not, not head knowledge. Knowledge is good. But it's nothing without intimacy with God. Well, I'm not someone who gets along with people. Then you are not entering into the redeemed purpose of yourself. We're all called to be people that are in love with each other because we're in love with God. John 4, 24. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You know what the truth part about that is? Costly sacrifice. <clears throat> I know it's a hard word. I didn't realize it was going to be this hard when I wrote it all, all out. And a lot of it didn't even write. <clears throat> but it is a call to come up. Last week we heard all those trumpets. It was a call to come up higher. It was a call to say we're going to go all in with costly worship. You, you, you want to know why we've been opening up? We, we, we've shifted everything to where we open this up at 515 before we begin at 6. So we can come in and start pressing in to, 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 with expectation saying, God, we are here to worship you. I, I, I will put out the challenge tonight that if you want to see a move of God, start getting here before we start and pressing into a move of God. Getting on your knees and saying, God, would you? Coming in here and saying, God, you're so good when you've had a week that doesn't look like good. Going home tonight with your spouse and declaring his goodness instead of complaining about the situations. Going home with your spouse and and, and declaring his provision instead of stressing about how will it happen. You know what costly worship looks like when you go home tonight? Everything that is trying to shake you no longer has that power. Because the cost is even though I'm hearing this voice, I'm, I'm choosing to only hear his. Well, I don't know what his voice sounds like. Yes, you do. It sounds like peace. It sounds like love. It sounds like patience. It sounds like self-control. It sounds like goodness. I've never heard the voice of God. Yes, you have. If you're saved, you heard his voice. Because you're still trying to hear voice as in something produced by vocal cords. He's spirit. He's not bound by vocal cord voice. The scripture says that the people who've never had a Bible will come to know God because he reveals himself in the trees, in the mountains, in nature itself. You, you, you've heard the voice of God. You've heard it tonight. Lord, here's my offering. It's so lame, but there's an old Casting Crown song. I praise you in this storm. It's lame to me because I don't like Casting Crowns. I know I'm not holy at all. <laughs> but but, but listen, listen to those words. I praise you in this storm and I will lift my hands. What is costly worship? I praise God when I feel like he doesn't even deserve my praise. 
Why should he get my praise when all I see is a speed bump? Because that's costly. Why should I praise God for that prayer that hasn't been answered for 20 years? It's costly. Let's go there. Let's go all in.